Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferentz.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 70. Super fun interview coming at you today. I sit down with mixer Pedro Coloni, and we get into stuff like the various states a song might be in when it goes to mix, the importance of being able to unlearn things, perks of having management, and learning to read the room, as well as a few vocal mixing tips. But before we get into all that, I was chatting with a listener recently, and the topic of social media came up, and I thought, hey, that could be an interesting open. Now, obviously, we could make this short and I could jump up on my soapbox and proclaim that social media is the technological incarnation of the devil and the end of society. But, I mean, come on, that's that's a little too easy, right? So instead, I thought I'd share my relationship with social media, how it's changed for me, and why I don't mind it as much as I used to. Now, before we start, total disclaimer, I did just go flipping through Instagram the other morning and basically ruined my entire day. So it's not all roses over here with me and social media either, so don't worry, you are not alone. I'm basically a social media grandpa. I was living in Boston when Mark Zuckerberg was starting Facebook up, and Berkeley was one of the early schools that got access. So that and MySpace were my entry point to this whole world of social media. There's basically one piece of poison that's been ingrained in social media since the beginning, and it's where all the negativity stems from. Comparison. Now, humans are already prone to compare themselves to people they know or meet. So obviously, allowing them to do it to the entire population of the globe was not going to turn out great. And a lot of us might not even realize that that's what we're spending most of our time doing on social media, but it is. Think about it. When Facebook was new and people that you fell out of touch with were friend requesting you, what did you do? You looked at their life and compared it to yours. Even if you weren't actively comparing it, you were doing so in the back of your mind. You were like, oh, wow, they work on Wall Street. Oh, man, they got a house. That's cool. I wish I had a car like that. So what's the natural progression from getting jealous looking at other people's lives? Where does it go from there? Well, it goes to making people jealous with your life. Duh. So next thing we know, we're all thinking about what we post with the context of what will others think. And that might not be, I want to make people jealous with my new car job. It could be as simple as, will people think this is funny? Will people like this photo or this video? Then it goes a step further, and we go from impressing people we once knew in real life or do know to impressing people we've never met and may never meet, and then comparing ourselves to them. So yes, that's the social media death spiral. We all know that's true, especially for musicians, artists, creators, etc. People in the arts are out there vying for attention like never before and constantly checking to see if they're doing better than the people they started out with, people they graduated with or worked with in the past. By now, you're probably thinking, this guy said he wasn't going to hate social media, but clearly he hates social media. So let me get to where we're going here. Social media is a necessary evil, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. 
you've got to approach it the same way you approach many other aspects of your life, including making music. Here's how I use social media now, authentically, and without any care of whether somebody likes anything I do. I used to post about records I worked on to impress people, or be sure to put up a photo of a cool studio I was working at so that I would feel validated. I used to overanalyze captions, videos, stories, posts, etc. Everything was designed to boost my career. That's the old Travis, raised on 15 years of social media comparison, not to mention a super inauthentic approach to presenting yourself to the world. And by world, I mean the 300 followers at the time who were all people that I knew personally. Ultimately, that should be the most disturbing part of all this. Most of us are posting all this fake BS to impress people we are already friends with? Like, how whack is that? Just think about the amount of self-doubt and insecurity that social media has instilled in us to make us think that that's normal. Anyway, back to authenticity. If you hate social media and don't want to participate in it, then my guess is that you aren't putting the version of yourself out there that you want to. Probably because you're afraid of what people might think. This podcast and the socials tied to it have been instrumental in my journey to figuring out what authentic content is. At first, I was putting stuff out, still overanalyzing everything, combing over every word of an intro, cutting the perfect video clip, over-editing interviews. It's just super hard to drop that what-will-others-think attitude. But slowly, I began letting things be a bit more real, a bit less perfected, a bit more honest to as if you and I were sitting together in a room chatting. I accepted the fact that the audience for what I was making was going to be the size that it was going to be, and that perfecting the brand was not going to change whether someone resonated with what I was doing. The only thing that could do that is being authentic. So you don't have to design something that people will like. That's what the internet has made us think, while at the same time giving us the ability to speak to the minority of the world's population that would be into what we're doing. Think about it. You do this same thing every time you write a song. You write a song that you feel great about, that connects to you, and then you put it out. You don't write a song that you think other people will like. An audience, whether it's for your music, your podcast, your graphic art, or whatever, is drawn to things that are authentic. They don't know it, but they are. There's something about things that are disingenuous that turns most people off. And when you encounter something that is authentic to you and that you relate to, then you become a fan. So my point, make your social media authentic to you, and you'll attract like-minded people and likely end up being inspired as opposed to drained every time you log into your socials. Now, speaking of like-minded people, the other part of this, which I'll keep short because I think this intro is getting long, is about those people. Do you make music with people you don't like? Do you hang out with people in your leisure time that make you furious? I doubt it. So then why on earth would you follow a bunch of people on social media that piss you off? Now, this might be a mistake, but I'm going to use Trump as an example here because it's hard to think of a more divisive figure. But how many of the 88.9 million people that followed him do you think absolutely despised him? Probably tens of millions. Why would they do that? So that they can get up and see what he said just to get pissed every morning? That's like some kind of self-torture. That's a horrible way to start your day. Point being, if there are people in your social feeds that are triggering you or hurting your creativity or whatever, why do you follow them? Why do you roll the dice and use socials hoping you don't see something that ruins your day? Shouldn't the goal be to go on your socials and have a better day? That's the other part of how I've turned social media around for me. If an account I'm following is in any way acting as a negative influence on my day, it's gone. Why do I need to follow that account? I've gone so far as to mute real-life friends of mine, sorry, y'all, but not because I disagree with them or anything like that, but because something about their daily posts is adding a weight to my day. It's bringing me down in one way or another. It's not lifting me up. It might be as simple as there are just too many posts. 
I don't need to see them all. So you can even take this a step further. You can actively try to find more accounts that inspire you or make you want to work harder and follow more of those. You don't have to stop at making your social feed not negative. You can actually find a way to make it positive. So closing thoughts, if you find social media poisonous, change the way you relate to it. Don't let it control you or derail your day. It doesn't have to be that way. Sure, it might be a lot of work to post, it might be annoying at times, but it is a necessary evil for anybody trying to promote themselves or their music. So be authentic, be true to yourself, and make it the most positive experience that you can while avoiding the inherently comparative nature of it all. Today's guest is mixer and engineer Pedro Coloni. Pedro has recently done mixes for artists such as Gail, Laney, Sasha Alex Sloan, Chapel Rowan, and Joy Oladukin as well as done work with some of the top producers in the industry right now, such as Dan Nigro and Phineas. He's had a quick progression from starting out as a studio runner at The Village to mixing for plenty of label artists. So hopefully we'll get into all of it from mixed tips to life and business. Welcome to the show, Pedro Coloni. Hey, Pedro, how's it going? Hello, it's going so good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Anytime. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a good time. And no one will know how many mistakes I just made reading that intro because I'm definitely going to go back and fix that. <laughs> That's what process is for. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, did you do the Nam adventure this weekend? Did you go down there? I did not. Yeah. I don't think I have it in me anymore. Unless someone really wants me there, I yeah. don't think I, I think I have it in me. <laughs> it, it's a lot. Uh, I feel it. it. It is a lot. Well, especially the non-pro audio side that's just like, you know, 10,000 drum kits and then like 10,000 guitars, especially for audio people like us, it can get... A little overwhelming sonically. It's pretty overstimulating, <laughs> I'll say. If Nam is listening, I love Nam. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We love Nam. Love it. But I went down there. I, it was weird. I had a media badge because of the podcast, and it was—I uh, don't know—it was weird. The conversations were different because mm. people were like, "Oh, you should meet my marketing guy," and I was like, "Oh, oh, right. I have a badge that says media, so you want me to meet your marketing guy? This is different from normal." It was—it uh, was fun. I, I don't know. It was. You know how it is. It's name. At least it's a different experience. I feel like I'd go to have a little more of the same. Yeah. I met a lot of people that hopefully will be on the show in the future. So I think it was worth it, but it was different from my normal, just like cruise around the booths and say hi to a couple people and bail. But you know. Yeah. yeah, Dude. So I love, I hit you up on Instagram for our listeners and I was like, Hey man, I really love this Sasha Alex Sloan record that you mixed. Would you come on the podcast? And you said yes. And then you realized that you had my number in my phone because we, we'd worked together like five years ago for a second. Indeed. Small world on that one. It was quite almost a literal second. It was very quick. <laughs> yeah, it was. I met you and you're like, this is the, this is the studio. It's downstairs. Do you know how to use Pro Tools? It was like, yeah, cool. And that was, that was the end. Here's my number. Text me if there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. And now here we are. Mm -hmm. So we got to do a little bit about like your story about how you got into music yeah. and when you knew like music was the only thing you wanted to do. So how, how early you want to go? So when I was one, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I guess I've been, I, I've always been into uh, music since I was a, a kid. Kind of just like, I mean, who hates music? You know what I mean? Like I, I liked it. It was great. Uh, I grew up in Brazil, born and raised in Rio. So obviously tons of Brazilian music uh, around me. My parents like black music. None of them are super musical or anything, but they're, into the arts like my dad's an actor my mom used to be an actress and she's a journalist nowadays so like i grew up in a very like artsy family i'd say cool nice so uh it's always been around me i guess music and then uh it started just like one of those extracurricular like activities when you're a kid you know like just go learn 
piano or something. Yeah. And then I did that and then I started playing drums and that's kind of what I stuck with for the longest time. So for most of my like younger life, I was just playing drums and I had bands and someone had to record the music for the bands. And I, I did that because I was into it. And th- there wasn't much of a, there wasn't a lot of thought going on. You know what I mean? It was just like going through the motions, just like someone needs to record who's going to do it. No one, no one said anything. I was like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll do it. So that was kind of the, the start <laughs> of it, I would say. And then fast forward to that, I went to law school for like a year and a half back in, in Brazil and in Rio. Oh, you went to law school? Yeah, yeah, I did. Because, yeah, I graduated high school. I was like, you know what? I, I don't quite know that I want to pursue music full-time just yet. I, I had always had that in the back of my mind. But I went to law school. I was like, no, this is, this is not it. And then at the same time, I auditioned to go to Berkeley because they go around the world doing auditions all over the place. So they had auditions in Rio. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to really study. I'm going to like be good at reading music and do it all. That's the best drums I've ever played. Like that stretch of six months that I was like, I decided to do the audition. I was a really good drummer. That was all downhill from there. <laughs> I, got, I got a scholarship, went in and it was, was great. I got there. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a jazz drummer, I guess. Like, I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to play all these gigs and I'm going to be that guy. And then I got there and I saw all the kids who were actually going to be those people. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's not me. There, there's a gigantic gap there. <laughs> and at the same time, they were building these new studios. And I already had this background of like, I like studios. I like recording. So this all makes sense. And I feel like I can get a lot out of this because like, where else am I going to hone in this craft? Oh, yeah. So that's kind of how it started. That's cool. So uh, I went to Berkeley a, a long time ago. So you were there right when those new studios were being done. Those, those facilities are just epic. Yeah, I got there the year they opened. Oh, nice. So it, w- it was very exciting. Like we were, I was the first one to live in that building and then I moved out immediately after one semester. But oh. yeah. It's a pretty dope building. It used to be a, a McDonald's and a Korean restaurant. <laughs> now it's a skyscraper. But yeah, it was a huge improvement, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> the Korean place was really good though. I-, I believe it. I mean, honestly, Boston food scene wasn't my, my favorite. So I, I could have used another good restaurant, but it's okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so you went through Berkeley, and then did you come straight to Los Angeles after that? Uh, yeah, I went from Berkeley straight to LA, and then I, I lived in a house with like five people that we all moved into like mid-city because we thought that would be central because it's mid-city. And then we just found out that there was nothing there, just a bunch of tire shops. <laughs> but uh, at the time, it was, it was great. It was like a fun time. Like everyone from Berkeley just moved in there. That's amazing. And then, yeah, I just went around studios just like trying to get a, a gig. Yeah. And delivering like my little resumes from like Berkeley. Like, what, what's in my resume at that point? You know what I mean? It's just like I went to school. Oh, yeah. Like, that's, that's nothing. it. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. So, what studios were on your radar? I know eventually you ended up at Village, but were you hitting up like the other ones in town as well? I will say I went to Westlake and I went to the Village, but I went to the Village first because that was the one that was on my mind. I think I, I heard this John Mayer live at the Village recording like ages ago. And there was the first time that I don't know that I saw a studio mention on, on the, the actual record. You know, I mean, that was the name of the record. And the, right. the cover art was the picture of the building. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. And they had some like Chili Peppers stuff. That they, I think they did Stadium Arcadium there at the time. And I was like really into that album. Yeah. So that's always been in the back of my mind. So when I got to LA, I was like, oh, I guess I just I might as well just go there first. And it worked. And they're like, you know what? We're actually looking for someone to start soon. So can you start? And I said, yes. That's cool. It was on my list. When I came out here, you know, somebody told me 
to go try Capital first, but Village and Henson were the the two studios that I thought I would apply to, and then I would work at one of those. And then Capital was amazing, not knocking Capital. So I would have applied to Village if I didn't get that job. So what was it like coming up through there? Because I because I wanted to, I feel like I missed out. I think it was a very unique like runner studio experience. I mean, it, it's very much like all of them in in a sense because you're you're getting coffee, you're cleaning, you're like getting up early and leaving there at, like six a.m. That's pretty standard across the board. Right. But just because like they had the commercial studios, the four rooms, and then they had eight other like lockouts with a bunch of different people and they're like songwriters and uh, producers, film scores and stuff. So there was a bit of a sense of community. Yeah. Which was really nice. And I got to like feel like I was going to work in an office, which sounds like something that isn't necessarily desirable, but like there was a good aspect of like that hang. You know what I mean? Like I got. Oh, totally. Everyone was super nice. There was this like overwhelming, like just this thing bounding everyone together. Like oh, everyone here is from the village, you know, like get these like legendary producers and I'm a runner, but like there's still this one thing we all have in common that we all, we're all here all the time. So there's this really cool thing about it. And uh, it just felt really nice. And I still get along super well with everyone over there. It just feels like a, a second home at this point. Yeah. I've been over there a few times. It's like kind of the go-to studio on the West side. Like if you've got an artist, it's on that side of the freeway. Then um, it's the only one of the only ones. Yeah, I mean, you've got Interscope, but you can't go there. But we we used to get a lot of people there being like, "I did, I never knew this place was here because uh, we never come this way. Like we're we're never here. We're always in Hollywood." I'm like, "Yeah, I, I know that makes sense." But like, so it's kind of out of the way. But it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I had some great times. Some terrible times there too. Also, obviously, because that's part of the gig. Well, you, you know? can't be a runner in a studio without having some terrible times. <laughs> um, no, you you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so if, yeah anybody listening that wants to work at a studio like get get ready to swallow your pride a couple of times oh a hundred percent any like standout lessons that you learned or like i don't know mistakes you made that you never made again or stuff you took away from sessions any like highlight moments from working there plenty of mistakes for sure uh i i think <laughs> one, one thing you mentioned uh which was the uh leave your ego at the door kind of thing. Just like, especially coming from Berkeley, not knocking Berkeley at all. I had, I'm very grateful with, but they kind of instilled this thing in you that like, you are the cream of the crop. You are incredible. You as an MPE major are like, you know, and then you get out of there and you're like, oh, I, this is not it at all. No. And then you kind of have to unlearn that, like that thing and you have to unlearn it really quickly. Otherwise you just, you're out. You know what I mean? Like you really have to unlearn that quickly. So Oh, yeah. Just small things from like workflow things. Like I'm not recording a 15-piece world music ensemble, live to tape, playing a 10-minute piece. You know, I'm recording like one rap vocalist right. right now who has completely different, it's a completely different beast. Yeah. So you have to be very willing to just kind of unlearn a lot of stuff and relearn a lot of stuff quickly. Like, of course, like signal flow is going to be signal flow. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's a lot of things are going to be constant and things you learned are going to be relevant. But um uh, you have to unlearn, unlearn a lot of stuff and relearn a lot of new stuff quickly. And of, of course, everything you've learned prior will help you like get, get to the new place quicker, which is great. But like, and I think there's also another thing that was really helpful for me to kind of understand while I was there. There's always this sense of like, as an assistant, you need to be a fly on the wall and like not seen, but you have to like not be noticed and like do all these things and be super stealthy which there's a lot of truth to that, but I think maybe that gets taken a little too far sometimes that people just kind of have no personality and and that's just as uncomfortable for an artist or for a creative in a room. 
to have someone's like, you know, this guy, like a cyborg, is it a robot? Like, it's very uncomfortable as well. You know what I mean? So I think like <laughs> learning that it, it, it isn't just about just like be, not be noticed, be like, don't interrupt. Like you have to find a middle ground there in between like making people feel comfortable, making like sure that like they feel like good service is being provided and you're not overstepping, but also like be a person. You can have a personality. You just can't be over overbearing and like. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that was a big uh, learning experience for me, like it, finding out exactly where that, where that lives. And it's going to be in a different spot every time. Very true. So the, the read the room thing was, was big. I think that was yeah. one of the biggest lessons for me, like learning how to read a room. Yeah. Reading a room is mandatory in the studio. And it's funny you talk about like having some personality and it's like, I've definitely been invisible to my detriment in my career at times, but like I've found that you know, you're a runner and you're new to Los Angeles or New York or wherever you are. And like you do these sessions with like super famous people. They're just coming in to make music. They don't want to be treated like, well, some of them want to be treated like the greatest thing ever lived, but generally like ask them what they did this weekend. They're going to tell you it's going to be fine. Like it's about, you know, as long as, like you said, not crossing the line, not being, you know, overbearing in your personality, but they want to be treated like normal people they're coming to have a good time and make a record. You know what I mean? It is creepy to be the weirdo in the corner. You don't want to feel like someone's starstruck just like staring at you in, in silence, like a statue. It, it is, it's oh, very yeah. unsettling. I mean, I wouldn't know because totally. no one's starstruck totally. by me, but you know what I mean? Like I would imagine that's not fun at all. <laughs> no, yeah, because you're in there trying to be vulnerable and you can't be vulnerable when you get people like staring at you. Exactly. Analyzing you and texting their mom about you and like, I can't believe I'm in the room with so-and-so. Yeah. But... <laughs> If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. I, I wanted to go back for a second. You, you were talking about unlearning. and uh, Yeah. And it's probably one of the best skills you can have. I, I totally agree with you. Especially like, you know, whether you go to Berkeley or Full Sail or, or just music business school or whatever, it's like you're taught this like core foundation of information. And I think the first thing that you need to know, like after you're done in whatever program or education you have, that you have been given all the tools to learn how the real world does things, but you actually don't know how the real world does things at all. And I think that's one of the gaps in most education, maybe even outside of music. People think they know how the real world operates, but really they just know how to do the task. They don't know how they're supposed to do the task. Exactly. There's also a thing like, there's this understanding that maybe it's a given that everyone, if they're there with you in that room, it means that they all went through the same path to get there. And that's so not true. I mean, artists, like producers, like they can, they could have come up, yeah, maybe they went to school, maybe they learned all the stuff, or maybe they've just been in their bedroom their whole life and then just figure all that stuff out on their own. And there's especially in music, I feel like even more so than other careers, like there is unlimited ways that someone could have gotten to a specific place. So like, True. you can't assume that you, everyone's coming from the same place and everyone has the same shared experiences. You know what I mean? So if you're coming, you're coming from a completely different place. So you need to be very aware of that. I think that's helped me quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, especially now more than ever, there are so many massively talented people that like 
just had their laptop in their bedroom and some headphones and now they have massive hits. You know, they don't know anything about the technicalities of music, but they're super talented. It's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes you have that urge to be like, I went to music school. I know what this note is. I have perfect pitch. I can hear this. How is this guy who's doing this? Like, I get it. I'm not saying like you're a bad person for feeling that way every once in a while. If you're like sitting in a room waiting like 30 minutes for someone to figure out where the 808 goes, I get it. But these people know something that you don't. There's a reason why they're there. They figured something else out. Yes. That isn't what you know. But there is a reason why these things are happening. Yep. And you just need to be very comfortable with that and just accept it. It, it. You can either fight it and be upset about it, or it can be like, you know what? I wonder what it is then, because it's clearly not because this guy is a music theory genius. So what is it then? Because it's something. Right. So why is that person there and why is the person killing it? And why should I care? And what can I learn from it? I think that's kind of the attitude. Easier said than done, obviously, but uh, totally. that's the attitude, I think, to strive for. I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I worked with so many people that are just extremely talented that, you know, would never read music. They have no theory training, but it's like you've, you've, they've tapped into, I don't want to say like the emotional side, but I guess it's kind of what it is. It's like more of an emotional, spiritual connection to be like, Hey, this makes me feel great. I think it's going to make that person feel great. And I don't care about any of the technicals. I don't care how it was recorded. I don't care if it's like not technically correct musically. It's just like, this feels great. Yeah. It's communicating it and connecting like, and people can be able to do that with music theory or, or not. Yeah, exactly. Or with whatever it is, the technical, whatever it is, academia you want to throw in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was the universal language of, of music. Yeah. But the, um, the other thing I was going to say that you, you made me think about talking about kids in like bedrooms is I just feel like access to technology has kind of like even the playing field, like there's just more opportunity for people that want to make records to make records and have the ability to get it out like now you put your your music on spotify for what like 12 bucks a year a month on DistroKid or something you put ten thousand songs out yeah it's amazing it's awesome i think that also means that like as someone who's like if you're an engineer or for a mixer or you're usually just aiding someone who has something to say to get that out there you know what i mean an artist or ha- someone who has a message like i want to help you get this out there with what i do and because it's so democratized now and the point of entry is so much lower and it's so much wider. You have to be willing to take them to where they should be. You know what I mean? Like maybe they haven't had the opportunity, they haven't had the training to like know exactly how to rec- to cut a vocal or how to do something in the studio. And like it, I feel like it's the job too to like, you know what? Maybe 30 years ago, no one would think of coming into a studio without knowing how the recording process works. This stuff is expensive. It's like everyone who's there shares a, a much more common like, set of knowledge than you do now. Oh, yeah. So I I I think that's a pretty big part of the gig too, being like, yeah, this is how a mic works and being very like open to like taking people that come at very different stages all the way there. That's an amazing point. I was just talking to a couple of buddies of mine about like bringing value. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that mix records. There's a lot of people that can cut vocals. It's like being able to do that, being able to master a record or whatever, it's not like really setting you apart. So it's like what you're talking about right there. Like, helping an artist learn how to cut their own vocals so they can do it in the comfort of their own home with the lights off and no one watching or like whatever brings more to the project is like the only thing that separates anybody these days. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's a great point. So how'd you transition out of there? You don't do any work there anymore though, right? I don't. No, I don't. I haven't for a few years. Yeah. So 
it was kind of like the village at some point was my day job and uh, mixing was my side hustle for and I mean the grand scheme of things is like those the balance changed and eventually I got more mixing and less village right but uh yeah I, I just started like everyone knew everyone around me knew that I wanted to transition into mixing because I was very open about that so whenever there was like little opportunities to just try to get a gig and mix something I'd do it for a bunch of like people who went to school with me and like do a mix a song or like do things here and there and being super open to anything that shows up, you know, and I've had a lot of like very generous people and very open-minded people along the way that were like, you know what, why, why not take a stab at this one? Like go for it. Like it's amazing. This producer called John Alasia, who's like, he used to have a room with the village. He's just the nicest. He's like, insanely generous especially in this industry is almost unheard of he's i gave him a ride once to his house and he's like yeah i'm working at this dave matthews record do you want to like take a stab at this song if you think you can kill it i'm like yeah i'll, I'll do it amazing and then we started working together on a bunch of stuff he's a great guy you know what i mean he's made some of my favorite records that i mean he did like room for squares and a bunch of cool records and he's just yeah. like this dude who makes music and he's like you know what you're you're cool just do it i don't care that's awesome. So I, I've had a lot of these opportunities show up with people who are just very generous and like welcoming. Well, let me uh, let me jump in there and, and ask you a question. You know, I kind of started this show trying to explain to people that luck doesn't exist. And then since then, I've kind of reworked my definition. Like, I think the best way to describe luck is, you know, preparation and uh, opportunity. And so like, obviously, you got some opportunities. Did you feel like you were prepared to like take a stab at that Dave Matthews song when when John asked or obviously panned out at that time yeah i felt like i was gonna kill it i felt like i was gonna amazing destroy it and i did it that's awesome but it's okay i mean you know what i mean like but then we ended up doing other things together yeah but yeah i i, I felt like i could but i think that's what you've got to do you know what i mean because like you have to always be working and betting yourself and being critical and just getting better but i mean this stuff takes time it's not gonna like as much as you want to put the work in it's gonna take some time and time just takes time so i hadn't had the time yet I thought it was killing it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the whole record. I'm going to ha- get the whole album. And then he's like, ah, sounds good, man. We're going to go to something else. But like, thanks for thanks staying a stab of it. I'm like, great, big win. Got, got to try it out. And it, he heard it. You know what I mean? You have to take the small little wins. Totally. And then at some point, if you keep doing that, and if you keep like learning from it, you eventually will actually get the gig. Yeah. It, it's interesting to be able to sit down with like files like that because you mix, you understand that like, the only thing that matters is the song. So <laughs> to be that early in your career and have access to what is probably already a great song performed by a great band, you can actually see like where your talents are as opposed to like fighting things that are out of tune and fighting a bad arrangement, fighting amateur production. Those things work against you. And so I think that's a pretty awesome opportunity to be able to sit there and be like, okay, this is a real record. What can I do with this? Exactly, though. It, it really takes out the guesswork of being like, oh, yeah, maybe the production just it really isn't there. So there's only so much I can do with it. Like, no, no, everything is there. This is just you at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's great learning experience. And it's also like good practice for it, it ties back to what you're saying, too. It's so much more democratizing. There's so much like more access, which means that there's a way wider array of different things that I'll get. Even if it's like a major label thing with like a big artist associated with it, but maybe who produced it was this like super talented 19-year-old kid who didn't necessarily have all the practice with all those tools, but then he just has a great sound or something like that. Right. But I'll get stuff that I was like, whoa, this really isn't there at all. And 
at the same time, I'll get stuff that is like, what am I even doing here? Why did you even hire me? This sounds amazing. Because everyone, it's not like I'm the only one who has tools. Everyone has the same plugins. Everyone has the same speakers. Like, That's right. There's no like barrier entry at all. So like everyone can- You just, don't have a secret plugin? You know what I mean? <laughs> I offer uh, more than anything, I think I offer perspective and like a fresh set of ears and someone who's dedicated to only that specific part of the process, which I think is huge of huge value but like in terms of making things sound good there's a lot of producers that make things sound really good oh yeah already yeah so it's not only like a, a job of like oh i need to make this sound better it might be i need to make these things that sound good it's almost like holding up a mirror and being like look at all this cool thing you did check this out i'm gonna pull this out a little more so you can see all this cool stuff that's in here and everyone else can hear it too. Yeah. And make this more of what this already is. You know what I mean? And I feel like that it's yeah. more and more like that. And also, on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that's like, how did this even get to me at this point? This is barely a song. And then you just kind of really go into it and make it something that it wasn't before. And both things are super fun. It's just like, just knowing how much work you have to, because the amount of work is not going to be fixed. Only the end point. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like you might have to do like hours and hours of work. You may have to crack a mix in like a couple hours and just be like, you know what? This is what it is and only do a couple moves. And so that will change a lot. It's just like making sure that it's you're always delivering at that quality and what the song needs. Yeah. Well, for every song that takes 30 hours, there's one that takes one hour. You know, <laughs> you're just like, all right. Exactly. Yeah. You insight, it all averages out. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a second ago that sometimes things come to you maybe a little bit less developed than other things. Are you, do you get into additional production? Do you make any changes in that realm? Or is it really like really a lot of communication with the producer? Like, hey, do you mind if I mute this? How, how does that work when you get one of those? It is incredibly rare that I'll, I'll dive into the production aspect unless I'm asked to do it. Unless I'm like, hey, can you, right. okay. can you tighten up that tuning over there? Or can you do that? But I... I'll try to refrain from it as much as I can. Because even if stuff sounds a little weird, there's probably a reason why it sounds, at, at least at this level, thankfully, I'm uh, mostly working on things that like, if they're not sonically perfect, they at least have some sort of purpose to be there. Yes, right. So it's definitely a conversation before it's uh, an actionable step into production. I, I love mixing because so many decisions have been made for me at that point so i have a very specific set of decisions that i need to be making and those are decisions that i enjoy making yeah like the thought of production and like there is nothing then there's a song and then there could be infinite things that that is just i'm stressed just thinking about it. i admire it so much but I, i'm overwhelmed just thinking about it so i like having a specific set of decisions that this is my turn to make these decisions based on everything that's been decided already at this point. So I, I, I try to collaborate when there's like decisions that are on my own to make as much as I can. Yeah, I, lo I love that. I love that. So I was going to ask you later if, if production was something you wanted to get into in the future, but it sounds like you really just love mixing. You I really do. I mean, I have gotten into it in the past. I mean, I can play instruments. I know how to like, right. mechanically, I know how to make it happen. You know what I mean? But it's, I think it's just the mindset is so different. Uh, not to even talk about the business side and career-wise, it's such a different path and it's such a different like oh, yeah. way that you get to being like a successful producer versus a successful mixer. So a uh, very different animal, I think. So I'm happy where I'm at with mixing. Yeah. Well, okay. So speaking of, what was your path 
post village to where you are now mixing, you know, there's some big names on your, like that get Gale is like really blown up this year. Yeah. I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. What's in, what's that song? That's huge. Uh, ABCDFU. Yeah. Yeah. That song's gigantic massive. song. Actually did mix that song, but I did mix the other ones of the EP. That song, funny story. It's just the producer mix. It works. Cause she's the baby artist. Like, Oh no, we don't have a budget. Like, let's just like release this. Sounds, sounds great. And then bam, that happened. Speak to my point. Some producers like can really do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's totally, totally. There's very specific points that I can point to that are the most unlikely reasons why I would have advanced my career. And yeah, that's what happened. So as an example, like I was, uh, I have a, a really good friend who's a, a songwriter, but he also plays with Sasha Alex Sloan on her band because they're really good friends. Ah. And he's also a good friend of mine. And he's like, you know what, dude, like, do you want to come on tour with us and play drums? And I'm like, you know, yeah, sure. Like, it sounds fun. It's like a small tour. It's a couple of weeks. I can take some time off for the village back then. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's joking, but I would just say yes anyway, because it could be fun. <laughs> and then they call me I'm like, sure yeah, you want to come play drums? Uh, do you know Ableton? Do you know, uh, do you know, like, how to do all the drum electronic stuff? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm so good at it. I would just Google, like, how, how to Ableton. I had no idea. And then I went to the rehearsal, and then we did it. And we did the tour, and it was great. And we, like, it was amazing. Sasha comes up to me saying, oh, yeah, who else do you tour with? I'm like, oh, no one. This is my first tour. I'm not a touring musician at all. I'm a, I'm a mixer. She's like, oh, cool. I'm, well, I'm doing an album. Right? Do you want to mix my album? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, is everyone insane? You don't... That's amazing. I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. And she's like, yeah, cool. I'll have, a, have Henry send you a song. And then that happened. And then I mixed the album because they liked the one That's song. Great. And then she's like, go meet with my manager. And then I met with her manager. He's like, Dude, are you looking for a manager? I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, cool, let's work together. And then we've been working together ever since. So it's very, but it all started because like my buddy, I'm pretty sure he was drunk and he asked me, he's like, do you want to come play drums? I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah, whatever. So <laughs> you, you really never know. It's like, it's the kind of thing that I couldn't have planned that out. I couldn't have like written down a goal and be like, this is what you do and that will get you there. Like no idea. And then from that, a lot of other like cool projects came about and like met different label people who were like, oh, he did that one thing and he's managed by that guy, which helps a lot. Yeah. Especially with mixing, which is something that's hard to judge. And surprisingly, a lot of people making the decisions aren't really that knowledgeable when it comes to judging a mix. A, a lot less knowledgeable than you'd think. So you, they need a little help. They need to a little like, oh, where did this guy come from? But what else did he do? And is he managed by someone or is he just a, you know what I mean? Like they need that aid to when they put whatever AirPods on. They need those approval stamps almost. Yeah. Whenever they listen on their iPhone, like while jogging at Fryman Canyon, like they're like, oh, you know what? This sounds great. Cause that's how a lot of stuff gets approved. So <laughs> that, that stuff helps. Yeah. Well, that's how the normal person listens to music too. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I can't, can't knock it. it. Yeah. Sounds great. You know, on my jog must be done. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh that's hilarious. That's really that's really great. But that goes back to show like the work that you were putting in, even all the way back to auditioning for Berkeley, like where you like shed drums hard. Like that stuff stays in you. Sure you said that like, you know, that was I was downhill for drums, but that stuff's like ingrained in you when you practice that hard. And it's like you can pull that back out and go on tour. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean it was good enough to to hang in the tour, yeah. 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 You you like answered the rest of the questions I have in that last question, but I wanted to go back and ask you about management. Do you have any advice to engineers or mixers about having management? Do you find it to be generally helpful? Do you feel like maybe people do it too early? 
And now that you've experienced it, do you have any thoughts? That is a really good question. I think for me, it helped me a lot, especially because uh, that legitimacy thing that I was talking about, because a lot of mixers come up under big mixer right. person. And then that's kind of their claim to like exactly. to get their foot in the door. I mean, like, oh, he came up under X, he came up under Y. So surely he must know something. I never did that. I, I just went directly to the village. So I think that helped me a bit to be like, oh, he's managed by this guy who we all know that manages other people and like has some sort of report. So therefore he can't be just horrible at least. So he's, he's someone in, in the circle at least. Right. So, so it helped in that way. And obviously just like going out there, going to bat and just finding people who are like, Hey, do you want to give this guy Pedro a shot? Uh, we just started working together. So that outreach thing helps. And obviously like the day to day managing, like, clients invoices and all the stuff as I get busier like now I'm like wow I actually don't think I could do this at this level and at this volume without someone to help me and, and I also just think the thought of like because it's a very lonely like it's just you doing it and sending it out to people you know what I mean so yeah to have someone who's like no no we we believe in you too we also think what you're doing, you're doing is cool and we want to be a part of it I think that kind of gives you an extra little bit of like oh, you know what? Maybe I am doing something pretty cool and maybe I'm on the right track because these people want to just take this ride with me and think there's something in it for them. Right. They're taking a chance. So I think that also helps. It really depends on the relationship you have with these people and if you feel like they're like furthering you or if they're just trying to like get the, so a quick buck back. You know what I mean? I, th- I think it's very hit or miss. Yeah. I don't know. I always think of it as whenever I'm talking to like an artist or anybody that's looking for a manager, I'm like, well, what are they bringing to your team? Like if you're a team of one and you're about to become a team of two, what gaps does this person need to fill? Like what are your weak points? And can you find somebody that can fill those weak points? I think. Yeah, I think that's hugely important. And I also think there's one thing to consider though, as an engineer and a mixer, especially, I think it's a very different gig in terms of like, if you're a producer, your manager can do so many actionable things for you in terms of like, oh, I put you in this room with someone else or I connect you with a songwriter. You guys can do a session. There's a lot of these things that you can do that aren't costly to anyone. And it's different when it comes to a mixer. It's like, oh, you have to ask someone to pay money yeah, right now for a service. So it's a very different beast. And like, I, I, I've spoken to mixers before. It's like, yeah, like they don't get me as many like gigs as like, this other producer guy I know who has a manager, well, well, it's a very different thing. So like having your expectations dialed as far as that goes, I think it helps you to know like exactly what do you want out of it. Yeah. And I had to like find out once I was in it, I was like, you know what, what exactly do I want out of it and what's realistic to expect? Because it's not like I started working on the manager and just sat back and was like, well, I guess I'll just wait for the gigs to show up. Right. Like I kept doing it. It was, it was an additional thing. I kept doing exactly what I was doing, just going after and just being like, Yo, if you ever need anyone, like I'll try this on spec and like you just keep at it. It's just an additional hand in there, I think. Yeah. I actually never thought about that perspective of mixers versus producers. There is a lot of speculative work for producers. So you're right. There is like far less skin in the game for a manager to like just put you in a room every day and write tracks. But when it comes to mixing, it's like, yeah, my guy needs to mix your record. It's going to cost X amount of money. So do you want to sign now or, or you want to sign tomorrow? <laughs> it's, so it is a totally different thing, actually. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's a much harder sell. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's, I love it when I'm talking to somebody and like I have a bell go off, you know, because even after like 16 years, like I know a lot of things, but I don't know if you feel this way 
you find things that like validate what you already know or think or the things that you like to learn. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like whenever somebody has a different perspective, I'm like, oh shit, I need to add that to my list of things to think about. But <laughs> well, let's do uh, I, I've had a lot of listeners be like, hey, I wish you had some more like technical stuff. Can we do like a little mix tip? Yeah. Nerdy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the thing that kind of draws me to your mixes is, is I love the music that you're working in. I love that genre, but I feel like you really have this like indie pop vocal thing, like very, you're good at getting this really nice vocal tone with those softer, more whispery singers, the kind that can be really harsh. Like if you don't know what you're doing, mm -hmm. you got any vocal tips you want to share for people that are curious? Yeah. I mean, I don't have like a specific, like this is my vocal chain. Cause that is a concept. I just think it's super odd. Yeah. I know there's people who make it work. I have no idea how I'd make that work for myself, but uh, I think it, it really depends on like, it's it ties back to the thing. Like vocals will get to you at very different stages. So sometimes I'll get stuff that's super like for the Sasha stuff specifically, like Henry cuts her vocals. Like she's great on the mic. She's a great recording vocalist. And Henry knows really well. He's the producer. So I get stuff that's really killer already. And it's knowing like if I have a vocal that's already compressed, listen to it. You can, you should be able to tell if there's compression on the way in already or not. Listen to it. If there is, maybe you don't need to compress it at all. Maybe you don't need to EQ. Maybe you don't. So it's very much like sitting and listening and like what's happening here already and what needs to happen yeah to get it that extra bit better but like in a more technical side i think i'm very like i'm very into just get rid of the stuff that i don't like and build it back up if i'm missing it as a concept so i'll go in and i'll do not stuff out that i don't enjoy i'll be really picky i'll be like that's kind of resonant or that's pretty harsh i'll do a dynamic eq if it's not there all the time yeah and i'll do just a notch down if it's there all the time that's kind of the criteria right and then it's pretty straightforward. If it's too dynamic, maybe I'll think, how dynamic is it? Can I just ride this word up and down? Or is it throughout that's too dynamic? Yeah. And if it's that, I'll just compress it a little bit. There's no like, I like the 1176 Rev-8, the U UA thing. It's, it's cool. I don't know if it sounds like the real one. I don't care. It's cool. Arc compressor, if I don't want to think about anything at all, I just want the dynamic to be more even. And that's it. Yeah. I just put that on and it doesn't give me that like, Oh yeah. Cause if you put another 76 on the thing, I don't, I don't want to hear about it, but you're going to think, Oh yeah, 1176 is sound like this. Yeah. And you're going to have that preconceived notion of what that analog thing sounds like. And you're going to almost hear it before you actually like listen. Right. <laughs> so I like compressors that are just like an R compressor, a, a pro C2, whatever, like something that's very like, yeah, this doesn't sound like anything. You actually have to listen to it and see what it's doing. So I do that almost to force myself to listen to what's going on uh, at times. But yeah, that and uh, you soothe a lot to, soothe, to yeah. tame stuff like with caution, just because it can get pretty, pretty gnarly. Sometimes it can get weird and you can just kind of lose yourself and be like, whoa, what happened here? And I just go, it's like, oh, my soothe is just destroying this. <laughs> That's right. So uh, sparing use of soothe, uh, that ozone uh, spectral shaper thing is cool too, is kind of soothe vibes. Okay. Does kind of a similar thing. I usually have that on my vocal groups, just barely tapping it just as a insurance policy there. Make sure I didn't miss anything. <laughs> that's good. I have this one thing that's like, really, I can give you this chain, which is a parallel thing with, uh, with the Fairchild, uh, UA Fairchild 660 pegged completely. And then a radiator with the treble and the bass 
all the way up and the input all the way up and the crazy de-esser. And then I'll just blend that in just to give it some weight. Cause a lot of like pop female vocals and stuff like it's lacking that like body, like yeah, something like 400, 200 and stuff like that. Like that's, it's kind of cool. It's muddy, might not be super desirable. But it has like a cool aspect to it that kind of sets that vocal apart from everything else we've been hearing on the radio maybe. Yeah, that's cool. So it's like, oh, I haven't heard this area of this vocal in a, in a minute. This is fun. And then you can just kind of blend that in. You know what I mean? I, I like doing that. And I'll play around with it, so maybe it's super sibilant already, so I won't have the treble guy all the way up. But uh, yeah, it's my body personality fader that I just kind of blend in and out. Been into Spectre, that saturation thing, because I like the workflow. It kind of behaves like an EQ. So okay, very, very intuitive, very quick. I like to be quick, not because I'm in a rush to go somewhere, but I think instinct is key. So if I take too long, I let instinct kind of goes away and then I don't really know what I'm doing. Because I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing anyway. <laughs> but sometimes I'm just like, you know what? This is this sounds cool. And then I don't know what happened, but it's here. The mix is here. Yeah, it's done. And then I'll go and fine tweak little things. Right, right. But I need that like almost a performance aspect to it. Like I'm just making moves and doing things and then like something happens and it's there. So I like things that, that make it quick. It makes such a difference when you work like that. It just feels, yeah. it's just more enjoyable, I think, from the from the mixing chair. Guys, I do this because it's fun. Like, yeah. I'd be a, a hedge fund manager. Like, you know what I mean? A Goldman Sachs if I wanted to be a bazillionaire. Like, <laughs> I, it's fun. That's why we do it. I want to have fun. I don't want to sit, like, do boring, like, analytical shit every day. Like, uh, I don't want to feel like I'm doing an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like to have fun and w- with it. And, uh, yeah, I think vocal stuff, that's a uh, limiter on the... At the end of the vocal, not not like let's make this loud limiter, but just like making sure there's this is the ceiling and there's no peaks. Like I'll be hitting less than a dB. Oh, okay. It's j- again, just there's some of them that kind of add a little more body to it, which is also fun. I'm a big fan of it, trying to bring out as much body of the vocal as I can without making it muddy. Yeah. Well, it's a delicate balance that like it's like you want to have warmth yeah. and body, but it's also like where the mud lives. <laughs> you know so and it also again obviously it's going to vary between like genre and like it's going to vary depending on the production if it's super sparse production there's a lot of room for the vocal to just be a big vocal but if it's super dense like you can't have a big ass vocal in there so it's like it's going to be a lot of listening and trying stuff out yeah i i want to say that the your initial like you know two sentences can be summed up into your mix tip is listen. And I just love, I love that that's basically what your answer was in the beginning. You were like, I don't know. I mean, I have plugins, but like I listened to it first. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's the most important part. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm also saying this to myself, by the way. It's not like I'm sitting here on my mountain saying like, you all must listen because like, I do all the time. Like, no, everyone's guilty of it. You know what I mean? But I, I have to remind myself, it's like, oh, maybe just stop for a second. And especially because I like working fast and just being like, doing stuff all the time like it's good to take a step back and just listen yeah i just did a thing the other day like i never do stuff like this i mean you know to a detriment because you just get in the flow of like the way that you work and the other day i was doing something that was like a little bit more organic than what i normally do and i was like you know what i'm gonna take my normal mixed bus compressor off i'm gonna put a fairchild on here i'm gonna put my death eye i'm gonna put an ssl i'm gonna put five compressors on here i'm gonna set them gain match them do five bounces and then just like listen to them and pick like, hey, what is this doing to the chorus? What is this doing to the chorus? Do I like this? And that's what I did. The Fairchild one, in case anybody cares. <laughs> I mean, I care, but that's, that is super fun, actually. I, I try to do similar things every once in a while. If it's a project that I'm like, they don't need, it didn't blow up on TikTok two hours ago and they need to release it in four hours. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> sometimes that happens. 
But if it's not that, then I'm like, you know what? I have maybe some time to live with this. And I feel like I feel like I already have a sense of where this needs to go anyway. So I'm just going to take some time. But like, if it's something I need to figure out, I'm not going to be fucking around and just like try and shut up. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's something that I have a pretty good idea, it's like, oh, I know where this needs to live and I know how to get it there. I'm just going to have some fun with it and just kind of learn. I have to stop myself and just rethink my process a lot of times because I'd never want to get like too used to like, this is what a kick drum sounds like. This is what I do. And I see this vocal or whatever. Like, so yeah, I try to force myself to do different things. Like I change my mix bus up all the time and like, I have realizations the other day. I was like, I used to always have the Oxford inflator thing on. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is like, maybe I don't love what it's doing to my mid range right now. And maybe, maybe I'm not going to use it at all for the next couple of weeks and see what happens. And I'll just kind of yeah limit myself willingly just to make sure I'm, I'm aware of what I'm doing to a certain degree. And that helps me be able to be intuitive when I need to. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe you feel this way because now that you're busier than you were, like, you know, when you were a runner at village playing around, do you still find time to like sit there and practice? Like when you got Spectre for the first time, did you sit there and mess with it for a day? Because that, that's something I struggle with is it's like, you're busy, you got to finish the mixes, I got to do the podcast. And it's like, I don't like try to learn the new plugin. I was just talking to the guys at NAMM about the Soothe guys. And I was like, dude, I love Soothe. Yeah. I, I, I use it on everything. I love the sidechain, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Same, telling, yeah. telling me how cool Soothe is. I'm like, no, no, I already told you that Soothe is cool. And then I was like, what do you guys use Spiff for? Because I just can't find a place for it. And then they, the two guys were like, I like to use it for this. I like to use it for this. And I was like, okay, now I have some stuff. But I never had a chance to sit down and like learn Spiff. Like I, I pull it out. It doesn't work. I take it off and I move on, you know? So do you find time to like learn new tools still? It's funny because you mentioned that with Spiff and I've had the exact same, by the way, Sooth, amazing. <laughs> Love it. Just if they're listening, they're great. Yeah. I'm sure Spiff is great too. I just have We're looking for the sponsorship over here, Sooth. Come on. I've had literally the exact verbatim the same experience with Sooth. Someone told me, use it for this. I use it. It works all the time. I use it. It works never. <laughs> and then it's fine. Then I don't let it go. It just doesn't work for me. It's it's okay. Yeah. I have found times to like things that intrigue me and I'm like, no, no, th- I'm sure this is really cool and I need to know. So I'll go there and try to find the time to figure it out. But it's rare. Like the Saturn uh, modulation thing. I would bet that nobody in the world knows how to use that. Unless you're like a sound designer. So I don't think anyone knows how to use that. If they tell me they do, they're lying. There's no way. I have no idea how it works. I'm sure it's crazy powerful and it's insane. But I'm never going to learn. I'll tell you right now. I'm never going it, to. And it's okay. I'll, I'll learn the things that I need. That's why I like simple plugins that like, do a thing really well and I know how they work. Yeah. And then I'll get into some, there's this like big clipper plugin that I've been into it recently. Mm. I think Boz Labs makes it. Okay. And it can just adjust the set, like by band, how much it's going to engage the clipper, which is fun. And it's useful for me. I feel like, you know what? I feel like that's something I could really use because I find that sometimes like the low end triggers the clipper way too much and I can't really control that. So this offers me something that I want. Yeah. So I'll learn stuff like that. If it's I've identified a problem that I'd like solved and something solves it, I'll take the time to learn it and just try it out. That's cool. On a mix or something like that. But always on something that I'm already comfortable that I know I can get there and I know what the steps are. Right. Right. That makes sense. I think that's that's key for me. I need to be comfortable. Otherwise I get super anxious and be like, Oh fuck, what's happening? Like <laughs> I don't wanna know what's happening anymore. It's yeah. Yeah, I saw, uh, now we're just having mixer nerd talk. Nobody cares anymore. But uh, I saw a plugin. I don't remember. The, I don't remember the name of it. So this isn't helpful for anybody. But I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a mid side pan. Like all it does is allow you to like, so you get like a stereo guitar track that has a bunch of delay. 
and you want to like pan the middle. So it allows you- And you pan just the mid. I have seen that recently too. I was like, this is genius because you get so many like wet files from producers and you're like, shit, I wish this was a little to the right. Love shit like that. So who, if anybody knows the name of that plugin, <laughs> just like somebody sent us a message. Please let me know too. Yeah, I saw someone's story and I'm like, oh, too late. I deleted it. It's gone. Okay, so I got to ask because you kind of like mentioned it and like blew past it. Like, have you worked on a song that blew up on TikTok that like A&Rs were like, holy shit, this needs to be done like right now. We need to get it out. You don't have to name the song, but have you lived that experience? No, I, I have. <laughs> That's amazing. I have lived that experience. I've, I've lived that experience multiple times. 99% of the time, it's not true. It's like, we need this turned around tomorrow. It's coming out next week. And then three months later, they're like, yo, actually, can I get a new pass with like the kick drum? up one db i was like oh i thought this was supposed to come out like yeah you know what i mean right but it also has happened that it actually came out and i was like i was in shock and i'm like oh wow it, it was true they actually did need it and not to knock a and r's you know what i mean like they have a lot of stuff to do they have a lot of stuff to deliver sometimes they were like i want to give this guy a deadline so i don't have to worry about delivering and i have it on me when i need it i get it right right it's tricky and you're like everyone you're great I, i'm not complaining it's just funny that i'm like Sure, I'll do it. I'm sure you need this by the end of next week. And then you, someone goes on vacation for two weeks. I get a 500 producer like, oh, here's a new vocal with a little less DS or like seven months later. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, it's like it's the business version of being prepared. It's like if they know the whole record's mixed three months before they need it mixed and a sync opportunity comes up, they don't have to worry about it. It's done. You know what I mean? It's Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you can't knock them. They're just trying to win. There's so many reasons that you, I could find to be mad at so many things. It, it, it's infinite in the, in the industry. It's like a bunch of people who are like all creatives. Like a lot of them are disorganized. A lot of there's often too many cooks in the kitchen. There are so many problems. It's so inefficient record making in general. That's true. Weeks in a studio to cut one song and just party the rest of the day. It's, it's insane. I'm not even, everyone knows that. I don't need to get started on it. But like, are you going to be complaining about it? Or are you just going to be like, you know what? If I'm the guy who doesn't complain and instead it's like, oh, you know what? No, don't worry about it. I can help you. Do you want me to do a revision? Like that is crazy edge that you're offering. Oh yeah. That's way easier than setting, like than compressing something or like finding the right balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the easiest part. And it's surprisingly the part that people get the most wrong. Yeah. Which I'm glad they do. Cause I mean, there's, <laughs> there's too many people. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it, the easiest parts are sometimes the people are like, no, I can't do this. No, it's going to sound so bad. Just do it, man. It's not tape. You don't have to do like a four-hour recall. Just do the notes, send it. And they're probably going to, if you're right, they're going to say, oh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. And even if you're right and they still like it, too bad. It's not your song. Yeah. Maybe that will probably to do your artist project. But like in this this case, you know what I mean? It's always like, be helpful. Be a problem solver. I think that's that's huge. And so easy too. That's the biggest thing. Easy thing to implement. You can do it immediately. Need no knowledge. Yeah. No practice. Nothing. Just say, absolutely, my guy, I got you. Done. That is so true. Like you said, everybody in this industry is creative and creatives are generally disorganized. And to be that like to be that anchor can separate you. And people are like, Oh, we gotta go to Pedro because we know he's gonna do it. He's gonna land in the deadline. He's gonna get back to us when we need him to get back to us. It's like just be dependable. And that's how you win that trust over with people. So it's that's perfect. That's happened many times. I'm not going to be the best mixer in the world. There's only going to be one of them. And it's not going to be me. And that's fine. There's a bunch of people who are really good at doing this. Like, there's other things that you can offer that are arguably even more important. You know what I mean? Like, you, the whole context is like people are trying to get this idea out to the world. This like thing to start as an idea that's going to be a record. Like, be a team player. Make it. Make sure it 
goes along and do the best work you can and make sure it's always like getting just this much better. Yeah, that's amazing. Dude, this has been uh, this has been a good hang. Let me hit you with the last couple questions that I give to everybody. Was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you? No, and that's it, that's because I don't think I've ever had a solid definition to begin with. Ooh. I never really thought of defining it. Interesting. I just felt like I'd be setting myself up for failure. I mean, obviously, like I want to be able to pay my bills and do something I like, broad strokes, like right. which thankfully is happening. And that's always something that's been understood as like being successful. But I don't think I've had uh, any tighter of a definition than that. Just because why would I narrow this like definition so much? Like the chances of me feeling successful would be so much smaller. And I want to feel good. I want to feel there's so many small successes. You know, even like. What we were talking about earlier, like I tried a mix for Dave Matthews when I was starting out and they didn't take it. Big success. I, I did it. It was cool. It was a cool experience. So like small little experiences like that are small successes, I think. Yeah. But uh, I know I don't think I've ever had a super like, oh, win a Grammy, get this, do that. Like, I feel like I'd be setting myself up for being unfulfilled. So no. This is my first no. This is amazing. I don't know how to respond. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're kind of talking about you can't control the outcome. Like you can't control whether you win a Grammy. No. All you can do is try to work on great records. So it's like, yeah. And you can't really control how you get there either. No. Which is crazy. You can do your best. You can like, you know, statistically, maybe I should be working instead of like go to the beach every day. Like sure. But like, there's only so much I can do too in that regard. So. I like it. I like it. And uh, our final question is, uh, what is your current biggest goal right now? And what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like I might disappoint you as well. And I'm so sorry. No, I don't fine. think I have a specific set goal in mind. And I think it ties to that same thing. Like, because if I were to look back, I don't think I take the time to be like, oh, this is pretty cool what, what's happened so far. Because I'm always like, I have this imposter syndrome. It's like, okay, I just have to keep going until people find out that this is all bullshit and that I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. Right. So I don't, I don't really stop to think, but sometimes I'm like, I'll have someone else usually, like my fiance or like my mom would be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that's pretty cool. But those wouldn't be things I would have set for myself as goals. You know what I mean? Like my goal is to like stay alive and keep doing this. And I feel like I'm so lucky that I get to do this and have so much fun while doing it and people want to pay me for it. I don't I don't even want to try to have more. Like this is it. This is super fun. Like I want to do more of it and at a bigger scale, surely. But like keep doing this. I, I don't think I have a specific set of goals. And I, I think the steps to get to whatever the goals are that I'll like retroactively be like, that was pretty cool. I think it's just being open-minded and being like receptive to like what people say, like taking things in, taking different like ways of approaching problems, taking away different ways of approaching interactions and situations and like growing from and learning and being very like very receptive. I think that that's the thing that's helped me the most is being receptive of opportunities, people, ideas, genres of music that I, it, it really goes for everything and just being receptive and able to just work with different things and work around things and just flexible. I, I, I'm rambling, but I think that's what it is. You know what I mean? It's just like, I think being very open is, is a step that you can take to always make sure you get the, you get the most opportunities and the most possibilities of success. No, that's true. I mean, there's definitely, you know, there's an argument to be made that having a really specific goal can kind of make you close-minded. You know, it's like if, I don't know, you wanted to mix the next Taylor Swift record, it's like you could focus all your time on trying to put yourself in a place where you would get that opportunity. And while doing that, 
walk past maybe making some really other amazing records because you're trying to get in with some producers. Exactly. And is it going to work out in the end? No, Servant's going to mix it. We all know Servant's going to mix it. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, I, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective to think about like a goal almost being restrictive if it's going to make you close-minded. So I think, I think you got a good answer. I will say one more thing, though, just so it doesn't seem like I'm just floating through life. I'm just like, oh, shit, shit just happens to me. Like, I think there's one aspect of this that I haven't mentioned, which is like, I'm not from here. I'm on a visa. And to get this visa, I need to do work and show immigration. But like, I'm pretty cool. I'm an alien of extraordinary ability. Right. So I think there's an underlying thing there that like, is always a push of like, if you're not killing enough, they're going to tell you to go back to Brazil. Don't get me wrong. I love Brazil. It's, it's great. There's not big music industry there though. So I have to do something else. Yeah. So I think that drive to like stay here and like build this life that I have here and keep doing this. I think that's always an underlying, like, so I guess the goal is to like, you know what, keep killing it and just enough so you can, uh, you can stay and keep building what you're building. So I think there's that component to it that I don't want to overlook, which is a big part of it. Not to take away from anything else that I've said, but yeah. Do you have any words of encouragement or advice for other people that are in that boat? I, I know so many people from Berkeley have like had to go through the visa battle and you know some of them have stayed here, some of them haven't. Uh, anything that you want to share with people? Well, I would say more than ever. I would say that in general, but I think more than the general population, say more yeses even than mm. everyone else would. You know what I mean? Maximize your opportunities for good things to come to you, even if maybe you don't feel like doing that that day, or if you don't see how that would lead you anywhere. Like I didn't see how drumming in a tour would get me like a major label album mix, but like it did. So it, it, because you don't see where it's going, it doesn't mean that it can't go somewhere. So just say yes more than you would and maximize your chances of making something happen and surround yourself with allies. Be nice to everyone. Be, be someone that like, if you go back to them, it's like, hey, could you write me a recommendation letter? Make sure they're going to be stoked to do it. Yeah. Be like, absolutely. I would love nothing more than that. And you know exactly what that means. You know what I mean? You know, you know how to make someone feel like that. You know what I'm talking about. Just, just make sure people want to be your allies. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, like I said, this has been, uh, I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. I didn't have a lot of notes coming into here, so I'm glad we had a really good ramble. Please share with people where they can find you. If there's a record you really love that's about to come out or came out that you want, like whatever you want to share with people, go for it. Well, you can find me on my, uh, on Instagram, I guess. I'm not there very much because I, it does bad things to my health, but I, I, I'm there often and once a week, at least I check it to see what's going on. So it's just Pedro Coloni. Say hi. I'm responsive. Cool. Once a week, at least. What's email. It? Love email. There you go. Pedro at pedrocoloni.com. Easy. Love email. Hit me up if you want to say hi. I'm there. And yeah, I'm usually good about posting about things that come out just so people know. So on Thursday, I'll just download the app, post it, and then I'll delete it on Saturday. Do you really delete it? I, I do. I do. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, I know. It, I, it wasn't amazing before I did it. That's why I started doing it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I've read so many people talk about doing that. They're like, oh, is social media like messing with your head? Just delete it. And I'm like, I've never actually met anybody that did it. So now finally, you're the one. You're my inspiration. Delete it all. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, this has been a great hang. Hopefully, uh, we'll run into each other sometime, you know, in in Los Angeles. Absolutely. We'd love that. Yeah. Cool, man. Have a great day. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. See ya. That's it for episode 70. Thanks to Pedro Coloni for coming on the show and hanging out. Also, thanks to all of you for listening. Please consider sharing the show with a friend if you've been enjoying it. Word of mouth is the best way to spread the news about this show. 
And finally, thanks to my editor, Stephen Boyd. You crushed it on this one, as always. And don't forget to join us at completeproducer.net and get in on some of the conversations going on over there. I'll see you next time.